Today, we tackle creative Photoshop compositing on Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers and artists, for that matter, from conception to completion of whatever project that they are creating, try and, try and better understand why they make the choices that they make. This show, as with all show, will have the show notes over at BehindTheShot.tv. And a quick reminder for you, you can get this show in a podcast app of your choice in either video or audio format. Of course, that's only if your podcast app supports video. A number of them do. For example, uh, Apple Podcasts supports video. You can do that there. You can also get the video over on YouTube at Behind the Shot as well. Today, I've got a very, very special guest. I have been excited to have this guy on since I found out that he was going to be on the show. I'd like to welcome the founder of Flurn, Mr. Aaron Nace to the show. Aaron, how are you? Great. So cool to be here. And I'm excited to talk about uh, one of my personal favorite composite images that I've uh, really ever done. So I'm excited to get in there and talk about all the nitty gritty technical stuff. When when we started talking about what image we were going to discuss, and this one was put in front of me, and there's a piece of information I don't want to share yet, because it's a spoiler alert about how this image was made, it was immediately, oh, yeah, yeah, we need to discuss <laughs> that image. Before we do, I want to talk about you a little bit and have the audience get to know you a little bit, because as we were talking in the green room, you live in Chicago now, but you were actually born and raised on the island of Kauai, in, in Hawaiian island. One of my yeah. favorite places, I was just there in May, and I, I am curious, from where you are now, looking back at your youth, I mean, for those that have never been to Kauai, let, let's kind of describe this, right? You've got forests, you've got more rain than almost any place you'll ever go to. You've got beautiful snorkeling and water, and you've got uh, chickens, basically wild chickens running around everywhere. Everywhere. That youth, how did that, how did that develop you as a creative? Well, Hawaii is also like a super safe place. I mean, especially back in like the late eighties, early nineties when I grew up. So my parents just kind of let me and my two brothers run around the Island and do whatever we want. I mean, people don't lock their doors in Hawaii. Uh, it's, it's not, at all a culture where you're concerned about, you know, like what your children are doing. So, you know, on days when we didn't have school and during the summers, it was just, you know, we need breakfast and all right, see you mom, have a good day. And we would just like go chase chickens and build forts and run around barefoot in the sugarcane fields and come back head to toe full of mud and just like have legitimate adventures and explore the island. There was there was nowhere we weren't allowed to go and really nothing we weren't allowed to do. And I think that kind of engendered like a spirit of like adventure and creativity and also independence in, in me and my brothers as well. And uh, to this day, we're all still very independent. Both my brothers and I were all, uh, we all have our own businesses. Uh, you know, we're all, uh, you know, kind of like making things up as, as we go along. And I think that has a big, a big part to the fact that our parents just kind of said, like, go do your thing. We trust you. Have a good time. And, um, you know, I've, I've never really known anything different. I, I've, I've never been able to just like 
follow a strict plan. And I, I think it, I really do think it's because uh, there was there was never any expectation of a plan of action when I was growing up. It's just do whatever you want to do. Well, and such an amazing place to grow up. But <laughs> from from Hawaii, your path to being involved in Photoshop and because, I mean, you, you are a Photoshop guru, but you are a photographer. And your path to that is something that fascinates me because when your family moved to, I think it was North Carolina, mm -hmm. you went to North Carolina University. Yes, I did my research on you. <laughs> but you studied industrial design, planning on being, okay, catch these now, either an automotive or furniture designer. Yeah. Which are two completely different worlds. <laughs> Definitely. How, how, <laughs> how does that get to photography? Uh, totally by chance, honestly. Um, you know, I, so I went to school, yeah, studying basically what it would become like a trade, you know, as a designer, you know, what most people wind up doing is working for uh, a, a company as a designer. Let's say they're working for a car company, you know, like s s the look and feel of the cars that we drive, you know, people are designing that, what the interior uh, you know, like the layout, like what materials are chosen, like, you know, in the new Tesla, for example, there's a giant screen right in the middle of the console, like some industrial designer made that choice with engineers, of course, to put that there and how they would interact with it. And um, basically how everything looks and feels. And that is very interesting to me, just like how, how we interact with the things around us, because good design can can change your experience of the world. And I think that people naturally gravitate towards good design, whether they think about it or not. Good design can solve a problem easier and it, it, it can alleviate frustrations for people. So it's it's always been incredibly interesting to me uh, to, to, to have some kind of voice in, in that world. And Going through school, I had an absolute blast. I, uh, I I graduated from school and just took a little bit of time to myself because I, you know, basically had just done, uh, you know, elementary, middle, whatever, high school, straight into college, and I hadn't really taken much time for myself. And I, I at that point, I felt like I had kind of like done, I checked all those boxes off, you know, and uh, I got out of school and it was a little bit of like, what am I supposed to do with my life now? And I, I didn't exactly just want to go get a job right away. I, I just wanted to take some time. So uh, I saved up some money and uh, did some traveling actually around South America for uh, close to a year. And at the time I had a point and shoot camera and just started capturing everything around me, everything I possibly saw, you know, I, I saw it as, you know, one of the pivotal trips of my life and wanted to make sure that I, you know, had these pictures uh, so I, I wouldn't forget. And also just to ca capture the beauty. I was in some amazing places. And that was like the first time that photography really, uh, really interested me in, in a, in a real way as, as an art form, you know, it, so photography, so I, I, let me let me let me expound on that a little bit. So yeah. this is a trip to South America that you're documenting as you're doing it, it was a long trip, six months. 
you're thinking as you're documenting, you know, most people go on a trip like that and they just take pictures, right? And it's it's more, okay, I want something for a photo. You started at that moment thinking artistically about those shots? Yeah. Composition, I mean, I just, et cetera? Definitely. So I had just graduated from design school, right? So, you know, okay, yeah. composition and, you know, like it's, as artists and designers, we all know, like, I, I think if you understand good design and understand you know, fundamental tools like value and composition and, and light and shape and form, then, you know, those those understandings tend to transcend different fields. So a lot of what I learned as an industrial designer definitely applied to what I was doing in photography, you know, using the difference between shape and form, you know, scale, like something being small and something else being large, you know, you can use that in design elements to create visual interests, but you can use it in photography as well. Um, you know, creating depth and also the use of color, you know, like designers choose color uh, oftentimes uh, through inspiration from nature. And in photography, you know, depending the location and the angle and the time of day that you're shooting, you can also choose the colors that are in your photos. As a design element. As a design element. And you could, I mean you know, product photographers or uh, like studio photographers or set or tabletop photographers, they go as far as, you know, sometimes the camera doesn't move at all. They're actually literally designing every single piece of the photograph by picking and choosing the elements that go into that image. The, the first time I had Trey Ratcliffe on, we were talking about an image that Trey shot of a museum in Paris. And I remember that there was this one segment near the end of the show where he's talking about we, we were talking about color and he described how he engineered color through that photo at the same time he was designing that photo for your eye to travel a certain path and giving your eye a rest by making sure it was darker in certain areas than it was it, like you say, it's, it's, it's a perfect example of design really when you start getting into those elements, but this all leads you to taking that kind of knowledge into education. So starting on YouTube as, as a YouTube channel that just shared knowledge with people as an educator, that takes you in 2011 to creating what is recognized as one of the default standards for online education, which is Flurn. So for those that don't know Flurn, uh, you've got over 500 tutorials. You've got a million and a half followers now on YouTube. And for those that don't know Flurn, listeners and viewers, give me the, the short helicopter view of what's Flurn. <laughs> what is Flurn? Uh, well, you know, Flurn is actually pretty simple. It's a video education platform. Uh, it, it was founded based on my personal interests and the things that I love to do. And that's Photoshop, photography, creating images and like really expressing your personal voice. And, um, over the last 10 years, we've built thousands and thousands of hours of education helping translate that creative voice. When, when you say, I've got something amazing in my head, I've got this image that I want to produce, how do I go about making this? You know, From the photography standpoint to the raw processing standpoint to Photoshop, maybe it's compositing, maybe it's retouching, maybe it's graphics. You know, all of those different interests are what's covered on Flurn. So we really want to be like the one-stop shop for photographers and designers and illustrators and, and graphic artists uh, 
to, to learn and grow their skill sets on the internet. So um, we, we make videos, we make educational videos that take you through everything step by step by step. Every, you know, you, you click play, you watch a person in front of you the entire time, just showing you everything they, they know. And the approach and has always been. I'll add to that because this matters to me from an educational <laughs> point of view. It's also with really good production quality. So what you're digesting is easy to digest because of how it's pre presented to you. That I think is one of actually the strong points of Flurn and the reason I think it's done so well is because information is presented in, in, a, uh, in, in a logical path with good quality, right? You can yeah. absorb it. <laughs> you know, I'm a bit of a tech nerd myself. So, you know, <laughs> it's things like audio quality, video quality, that's just like my, my, my tech side of things coming out is like, okay, well, this has got to be, this has got to be top notch because, you know, if the information you're trying to deliver is, uh, you know, is being overshadowed by, you know, poor audio or video quality, um, it, it doesn't do justice to, to the, to the person trying to learn. So, um, we've always tried to make it feel like, you know, you're, you're watching these videos, you're kind of hanging out with a friend who just happens to be an expert in their field and they're just right. showing you what they know. Um, and we can do cool stuff on our platform, flurn.com, because, um, you know, we built the platform from the ground up. So, uh, it's a video streaming platform. You can watch it anywhere in the world, uh, on any mobile device. Uh, it's a subscription. So you, you know, once you hit go, you've got access to every video and we include so many cool things. Like for all of our tutorials, we include the sample images so you can actually follow along with the tutorials. We'll include custom Photoshop brushes and actions and presets and basically a, an entire package of course materials. So it's, it's really like, you know, you can go all the way from tutorials like the Beginner's Guide to Photoshop, which just kind of gets you into the swing of Photoshop to more advanced compositing, like the image we're going to talk about later, and really just kind of like go wherever your creativity uh, leads you. And at your own path, too. And Aaron has been kind enough to give you guys, the, the viewers and listeners, to give you guys a discount code. So grab a pen and paper, and I'm going to give you the discount code, and then we're going to jump into the, the image really quick. But while they're getting their pen and paper, I want to say <laughs> what's at the end of your bio, because... What's at the end of your bio to me is profound. At the end of your bio, it says, keep it simple, keep it weird, enjoy the adventure and never stop learning. And if that's not a key to life, my friend, then nothing absolutely is. So here's the discount code really quick for uh, for Flurn that Aaron has given you guys. It's behind the shot 20. What that will do is if you do the subscription for Flurn, uh, which you can get to at flurn.com. If you do the subscription for Flurn, that will get you a 20% discount on a Flurn subscription. All right. So make sure that you head on over there. And again, just to, to put it up on the screen again for those watching video, it's behind the shot 20. That'll get you 20% off a Flurn uh, subscription. And while I'm on it, by the way, a quick reminder to you guys, as long as you're on the web, we also have a new Flickr group, by the way. Go join the behind the shot Flickr group. We're going to use that in the show as we move down the road and get more people there. So let's get into the picture. And before I bring it up, uh, the name of this shot is 
Baxter. Yeah. I don't want people seeing it yet. I'm going to bring it up here in a minute. Is that the name of the kid or the secondary subject that's in the picture? Is the secondary subject. Yeah. Okay. So let me bring this thing up. This shot, I, I don't even know where to go with this. I mean, <laughs> I sit down and whenever I do a, a show, I look through people's portfolio and I look for, for commonalities in the work that people do to try and understand, oh, you know what? They keep going to this or they keep with your work. That's really, really hard to do. So let me <laughs> let me try and describe this particular image because it's it's yeah. All right. So for those of you on audio, you can run by the website at behindtheshot.tv to see this image. Those of you watching on video, which again, you can get in a podcast app. As long as your podcast app supports video, there is a separate feed you can subscribe to. You can also see it on YouTube or you can watch it at the website behindtheshot.tv. This is either early morning or dusk looks more early morning and it's in an alley and I want you to picture an alley in an old part of town because this this actually has power poles and telephone poles and wires everywhere and a roll-up garage door half open right cracked asphalt and when I say cracked asphalt I'm not talking little cracks I'm talking three inch wide cracks in the asphalt and it's asphalt by the way so it's clearly an alley probably not a street there's a small boy dead center lower third of the frame with a flashlight that has the most realistic beam I've ever seen in, in a photograph. That beam is pointing frame left on the lower third. And, okay, here we go. For those of you that look at the image and say, no, Steve, that's not how you describe that. My apologies. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a fuzzy teddy berry type monster with horns that's behind him peeking out from uh, like the frame right. Did I do pretty good? I think you did great. Yeah. And his name is Baxter. And okay, so here's the special part. I want to get this out first. You built Baxter. Yeah. So Baxter is um, uh, real. Uh, do you want me to get into like the backstory of like why I made this photo and what I was thinking about? Yeah, because that's your inspiration. That's your pre-visualization. I'd love to understand that. But let me just get one thing clear. When I was first told in email that, oh, yeah, I created Baxter, I thought I'm picturing Photoshop brushes. Oh, yeah. Baxter is real. He's 3D. Yeah, he's he's a he's a flesh and blood, you know, living, breathing stuffed animal uh, come to life. Amazing. And we'll show behind the scenes here in a second. So tell me the the, the conception of this. So um, the whole idea behind the photo uh, was a little bit of like my my own childhood. And I, I had a few different ideas and a few different concepts I was pulling together. And a lot of my conceptual images are based on stories that uh, I'm either kind of familiar with from my childhood or just some things that I, you know, kind of pull together. Uh, so this image was a little bit of like a Calvin and Hobbes type story. If you've ever, you know, oh, yeah. read read that comic, um, you know, where a young boy's stuffed animal comes to life and they go get into mischief. Um, also with a bit of uh, Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. Where, oh, yes. Know, you have all these like, you know, monsters and, um, you know, the the main character falls asleep and goes to the land of the wild things. So I... I loved both of those things growing up and I wanted to create a, a version of that where um, 
the the idea that this young boy had a a stuffed animal that was his good friend and at night uh his parents would go to sleep and he and the stuffed animal would go on adventures and i wanted the stuffed animal to be you know maybe two and a half feet tall in uh you know during the daytime when when the stuffed animal is inanimate but at night i wanted the stuffed animal to be able to come alive and to grow uh to any height so uh the idea was okay i want in the photograph i want him to be a you know bigger than a garage i want him to be you know 15 feet tall uh in 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 the final image and i i wanted i wanted the stuffed animal and the the subject the boy to clearly be like interacting uh so i thought hide and seek would just be a really fun way so um a couple of really uh i i spent a few months uh making this image you know you know from from the idea all the way to the to the final product so you know thinking about like how do you make hide and seek in a photograph well you know part of that is like you kind of want the viewer to be playing hide and seek too like the person who's actually looking at the image you kind of want them to play hide and seek too so um we i i photographed this it was actually dusk it was you know the sun was just setting um i was inspired uh visually by uh a, a few photographers uh uh gregory crudson does some beautiful work at, at dawn and dusk um and then also ben wap he is a french photographer he did some beautiful beautiful uh work uh so i was inspired visually by those images and the concept of hide and seek i wanted the viewer to go through that too so i was like okay well the the person looking you know doing this searching uh, I wanted to make sure that that was when you when you look at this photograph. Uh, I, I wanted to make sure that that's what you looked at first. Like you, you know, you're looking at the young boy. So uh, he's backlit. We we did put a strobe in this photograph to backlit him, backlight him a little bit. To separate where where him is from, the strobe? It's not in the final image. It's, it was just uh, in the street, and you removed it. It was in the street, and we removed it. It's, okay. It's near where one of the street lights would be. So that was I, one I of think, my questions. <laughs> Right, because you can street, see a rim light on his hair. You can see a rim light on his hair, but there's no strobe visible in the shot. So um, the idea was that because there are street lights in the shot, that those would, uh, you know, kind of take the place of, you know, make it believable that. Um, obviously, you can go dissecting and everything. Like, oh, of course, there's a rim light here, but not in the shot. You took it, but um, I wanted a bit of a rim light around this main subject to separate it him from the background also to draw more attention to him and uh you know to kind of show the hat he was wearing like a uh like a, a furry hat you know so like that that's his hat that he wore with baxter to like they're well the same. and they're... and by the way the rim light looks like it's coming from that bright light on the pole yeah that was the so idea it, it it matches absolutely perfectly what's interesting is the hide and seek concept to me because when i saw this I almost thought that the boy was that they were friends. It, clearly, yeah. they're together, right? It's not like he's the monster sneaking up on him. I never saw that. He's too fuzzy and cute, right? But what I am my first interpretation of this shot was that the boy is going to check something out, and his friend Teddy Bear Monster mm -hmm. is more afraid than the boy and is staying behind him. 
<laughs> that makes sense too. That makes sense too. Yeah. Which is part of what I love about this type of art and photography in general is that everybody will see just a slight twist. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that, you know, when creating images like this, I mean, this is a very produced photograph, you know, there's nothing unintentional uh, uh, about this, but you know, the the real important thing, in my opinion, when making something like this is trying to tell a story, you know, and, and with some sort of a story, everyone has their own interpretation of, of that story. But if you have a photograph and there's no story, it's really hard to stay interested in right. the image, you know. Uh, so building a little bit of a story element, I, I think, just kind of pulls you in and, and, and makes you feel like, like you want to know a little bit more, like what happened right before this and what the, what's about to happen. That story element is something that I was uh, really working quite a bit with at, at the time. On the technical end of this, how many photographs, how many actual photographs are in this composite? Oh, uh, I, I would say four or five or six, maybe. So you've I got the boy in the know. alley. You've got the monster yeah. is composited in. Yeah. Um, and then the some other stuff itself, added. So the alley itself, and I know you have these images that maybe you can show on, on the website or whatever, but the alley itself is actually a composite of two different alleys. So it's uh, like the left side of the alley is from one photograph, and the right side of that alley is from a totally different oh, photograph. Oh, oh, oh. This is... The buildings on the right and the buildings on the left aren't on the same street? No, well, it's this, uh, they are on the same street, but it's actually looking the opposite way on the alley. So they're they're not technically there. It's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a different. So technically, the buildings on the left and the buildings on the right in real life, they're technically both on the same side of the street, just looking opposite directions. Okay, that's that's a good time. Let let's uh, go into these behind the scenes. And the reason why I did that is because what was on the camera right side of the of the alley was just a bunch of trash cans and oh, uh, yeah and and some streets there and and no place for Baxter to hide Baxter has to hide behind a garage you know that that was really important in the concept so I photographed what I wanted Baxter to be hiding behind and the right side of the alley and then photographed the left side of the alley and then combine those two together so that was actually one of the more difficult things to do was to put two different uh, sides of the, or to put the same side of the street taken from two different angles and make it look like it's two different uh, sides of the street, especially what? because you have things like, um, you know, light poles and, and telephone wires that crisscross from one side to another. So you can't just do a simple blend. I actually wound up like recreating and repainting a lot of that background to get uh, to, to just build the background. And it's, oh. it's not even something that's like, Oh, that's a cool part of the composite. I mean, hopefully you don't even notice that, but that was actually technically a kind of one of more, the more Dude, difficult I things never, to do. I never wow. And there's only because if now I just I'm found now the, I'm picturing you flipping that and merging it down the center, and it just was like, okay, so we merged it down the center, and then now, yeah, it's hitting me. You've got poles and wires. Let's show these behind the scenes ones. Great. First behind the scene image is the alley. Um, with like a reddish wall and a blue trash can on the left. Yeah, so that's gonna become that's gonna become the camera right, uh, 
alley. That's the garage that, Baxter's behind. That's the garage that Baxter is behind. So the the right side of that photo becomes the right side of the final composite. What's interesting is, yeah, that that asphalt is really cracked. I mean, it's like earthquake cracked. The <laughs> yeah, second one is Baxter. And and when it, when you sent this to me just literally half an hour before we started, this was the first time I realized that he was not a Photoshop creation. He's a living thing. I mean, he's 3D. That is. Yeah. And he's actually pretty big. Uh, which yeah, he's you can see a person in that in that photograph, too. Um, you know, Baxter's about three feet tall. Yeah, he's pocket high on the person standing there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, next one is Baxter hiding behind. OK, this is this is interesting. So this is this is the position he's in in the final image. So he's hiding behind what looks like a V flat in a studio with a yeah. dark piece of carpet to obviously control the light so that it looks like the final product. And then there's a white V flat behind him. So this yeah. was the this was the 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 plate you shot for that. Yeah. So this becomes uh, this becomes the final version of Baxter, or very similar. I, I think it might be a slightly different shot, um, but I wanted to include you know Baxter in the studio because again we wanted Baxter to be like 15 feet tall, but you know I didn't want to build a 15 foot tall puppet. <laughs> I wanted to build a three foot tall puppet and then use uh, use Photoshop and some perspective trickery to to make him look like he was 15 feet tall. So, so I have a, does Baxter still exist? Do you still have him? Yeah, he exists. I actually thought about grabbing him for this uh for for this podcast, but yeah, he's like our studio mascot, man. He's yeah. Oh, he's, that is awesome. That is just awesome. So the final image, and this one really puts it in perspective, is. You've got the, it, it's obviously at a different time because the garage door on the left is closed here. It's not half open. You've got the little boy with the flashlight and Baxter standing behind, uh, right next to him. And this is like one of the cutest things ever because this looks like Alf. <laughs> I mean, you'd, you'd think that this guy was was real. So with that in mind, let's go back to the, to the final image and you can kind of see how this was composite. You know, I have a question. Was the, was the one rim light the only light you used? Uh, no, you can see if you go back, uh, to the image 9788.dng, or I guess it's JPEG, uh, the image, the, the fourth image you showed the, the last behind the scene image with the car behind the boy and Baxter. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you can see on the very left of the frame, there's a, there's a light stand there with a oh, cord yes. hanging down and a sandbag, red strap of a sandbag on the bottom left. Um, so that's a, that's a, like a, like a 60 or 70 or 80 inch parabolic reflector. That's about, uh, maybe 10, 15, 20 feet up in the, up in the air. To um, give that, that look that, okay. So that brings in an interesting question then. Yeah. And again, forgive me because <laughs> I, this is not what I do. Right. So these are good. You're no going to go really, you asked that question, but I have to ask. Yeah. Clearly, the you're going for lighting, direction, and quality, and shadow quality, and emotion, and mood. Yeah, but you, totally. you don't really care about color because you're clearly manipulating color to death in pros to get that look that you want, right? Yeah, well, definitely. So you, do I you mean, worry about it at all at the shoot? Well, I mean, yeah, for sure. In that's why we chose the time of day to shoot that that we did because I, I really wanted this 
I wanted the end shot to be, you know, a very subtle mix of like bluish purple and uh, like a muted yellow. Like and I, you knew I that really, in advance. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, for instance, the the parabolic reflector that's lighting our main subject that has an orange gel on it. So the light coming off of that is a bit warm, uh, which means I could cool down my white balance even more to make the sky even more blue. And my subject is going to still look a little bit more natural. Uh, also, the time of day that you know we photographed allowed uh, a, a decent balance between the light in the sky and and the light, um, you know, in the rest of the image. Like I, I didn't want to shoot in the middle of the day or the middle of the night because I wanted enough light. Um, on my subject, like with, with my strobes, I wanted to be able to light my subjects uh, intentionally and, and, and purposefully, uh, but I didn't want that light to be the only light in the photograph. So it was very important that some of the light from the day was still remaining in the final image. So, you know, when, when trying to balance strobe light with ambient light, um, especially at this time of day, we had like a, probably a 15, 20 minute window where that was going to work, um, you know, so everything was set up well ahead of time. And, uh, you know, when, when the light was right, just start See, snapping away. And, and, you know, people struggle with balancing flash to light. And there's a little cover here because you're, you know, you're not trying to shoot a product and try and keep, you know, the Coca-Cola red, perfectly red. You know that you're going to do some manipulation in post, but but still to get the shadows and the lighting directions and everything to feel real. And what's fascinating about this image, by the way, the one the one behind the scenes had the garage door. I'm just thinking this, so it's popping out of my head. The garage door closed. The garage door being open just to me adds so much to the shot, actually. But I agree. And that was a luck. That was just a element so, okay, of luck. So you didn't open it. No, because you can see that car behind uh, in, in this shot with the car in it behind the boy yeah. and Baxter, that car was just going into that garage that's back there. <laughs> you know, that was not a planned thing at all. I was just, you know, we and were yet just it looks so much more. It, it makes that side balance the shot more with the door half open. But this shot looks, I mean, people, seriously, if you're listening on audio, I rarely do this. I am begging you to go to the website <laughs> and actually go down to the gallery, click the shot, let it pop up in a light box uh, or fast forward the video someday to where you can see it. It looks so real. And what I love about it also is compositionally. And this is where that that industrial design comes in. So the alley fades from full scene width back towards the right upper third, right? You've got leading lines. You've got the rule of thirds going on. You've it's not the rule of odds, and yet oddly it is. And and let me explain that. You've got the boy and you've got Baxter. That it just hit me. My eye really goes to that open door, that black spot in the open door, as though it's a third item in the scene. Not subject per se, but it kind of gives me that rule of odds a little bit. When you take an image like this into post, do you do you worry about assembling first color correction and color toning last? What's your path? Yeah, color is always last. Um, so the first thing that you want to do when you're, you know, going to do a composite like this is 
basically just get everything together in a way that looks, uh, you know, believable, which is, uh, it, it can be very difficult to do. Um, I've, I've been doing this for a long time and it's still very difficult for me. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it, just grabbing an element from one place and putting it in a different place and making it look like it belongs, you know, that's, that's a difficult thing to do. Uh, Matt, basically the end goal is to match light and uh color and perspective and uh and, and angle and you know anyone trying to match light it's you know i mean the light inside your house is very different from the light outside and right. the light in the morning is very different from the light in the afternoon i mean any photographer i mean the thing that defines every photograph anyone's ever taken is light and it's incredibly different, you know, every time you press that shutter. So, uh, that just kind of speaks to the, uh, you know, the, the endless amount of variation in light. So, um, matching lighting from one image to another, or like from a, a, an outdoor shot to a studio shot, um, that's pretty tough to do. You know, I'm, I, I, I've been, you know, I, I would I wouldn't say that I have it mastered by any means. Oh, I mean, I, I would. I, well, that's super nice of you, and this is one of the images that I'm super proud of. But I mean, I can look at this and see 25 things that I did wrong with it too. You know? Okay. And, are you <laughs> are you being serious? You look at this shot. Well, I, I mean, guess that's the that's the truth I, with any creative, right? We always look back at our children and think, "I wish I would of, have." But, right. I mean. I'm not the beat myself up type of person, but yes, I can most definitely look at this shot and see tons of things that uh, are are technically incorrect. Like, um, okay, so uh, for instance, the boy has a bit of a rim light behind him, right? Right. And that light supposedly is coming from the street light that's that's in that shot. Well, the shadow on the boy is coming from a slightly different direction than the street light. So if that street light yeah. were actually rim lighting the boy, the shadow would have more Go of like more a the left, left angle to it. Uh, and Baxter doesn't have as much of a rim light on his hair as the boy. And he should actually have maybe even a little bit more. Because he's closer and higher. And by the way, let me just mention to people, because I actually think what you just did is actually a, a, a wonderful thing. When you're trying to improve your work, you know, we talk about image critiques and things like that. But when you're trying to improve your own work, you've got to remove yourself from being the creator sometimes and sit back and look at your work in a way uh, to look for things that even your old work that you're not going to go fix. Find those things that will make you grow. There's no question. Here's here's a question for you. Quick tip. Sure. Yeah. Obviously, with the Adobe photography plan, and of course, you've got Affinity, and and you know there are alternatives out there to Lightroom and to Photoshop. There, there's ways for photographers to get involved, right? With more than just photography, but many people still have a great fear of Photoshop type, for lack of a better phrase, uh, post production. What's your one tip? Now, obviously, Flern has classes in Lightroom <laughs> and, and Photoshop, okay? And yeah, by the way, yeah. there are classes I've seen of yours that literally teach what you did in, in this shot. But what's your one tip for people to get over that fear of going a little deeper into creation? Well, I would say, you know, personal projects are just such a wonderful 
a wonderful thing to do because if there's no there you know if there's no consequence to whether something turns out or not it opens you have to play a little bit more and to kind of do something that maybe is a little bit outside of your comfort zone. You know, if a client is paying you money and looking at you, you know, chances are you're not going to do something where you're just like unsure whether it's even going to work. Um, you know, I mean, for me anyway, I want to make sure that I, I know exactly what I'm doing when a client is, is paying. But, you know, when it comes to my personal projects, if something doesn't work out, like, no big deal. I, that's just a learning opportunity. Okay. Well, why didn't it work out? Well, I, I didn't do this or that exactly right. So the next time I do another project, I can, I can try to go fix those individual elements. So I would say, you know, have those personal projects and, and use those to kind of push yourself. And, you know, you, you don't have to show anyone if you don't want to, I've got hundreds of images that I've taken over the years that no one has ever seen because they just simply didn't work. You know, like uh, the the same week that I took this Baxter image, I had another conceptual photo shoot that I don't think I published at all because it just doesn't, it didn't work. Um, but yeah, and- you're right though. There's an amazing, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's an amazing freedom to be yeah, un- I mean, unconnected from having to deliver something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like what there's no, you know, no big deal. It didn't work out. Well, that's a learning experience and, you know, I mean, hopefully you had fun in the process, you know, and like my my personal work is uh, you know, it's done on a shoestring budget, you know. We're not spending big big bucks here. But, you know, that being said, I also like I, you know, mentioned for this Baxter shot, I I put about 3 months of energy into this into this photograph. Um you know, so I wanted it to work. Like I, I, I did my best to try to like think of everything and, and, and pull everything together in a way that would uh, work in the end. But, you know, sometimes it just doesn't, you know, sometimes you get out there and it starts raining or, you know, you, you cast yeah. a, a subject who you think is going to be great. And, you know, it, for some reason or other, it's just might not be exactly what you had imagined or, um, and, and that goes both ways because sometimes a car pulls in a garage. Yeah, sometimes a car pulls in a garage, and that was unexpected. But exactly. that was like, okay, we're leaving that in because that looks really great. And, so, uh, so I have a surprise question for you. They're all surprise sure. questions, but still. <laughs> if you were to pick, it's always fascinating to me when I when I used to do deal with music a lot. I've been a radio a lot of years, and I always used to to try and understand people's music taste. I'd always say, "What CD did you last buy?" Right. Not what do you listen to, but what would you spend your money on? Well, I kind of have that question for you. We all have a lot of photographers that you like. But if you were to tell people, oh, you've got to go see the work of, what's one photographer you would recommend that people go look up? Uh, David LaChapelle, I would recommend looking at his work. Um, he he just does something, you know, like stuff that's just on another level. He's been an inspiration for me since day one. I'll just give, you know, a tiny little warning. I mean, there's nudity in a lot of his photographs and, uh, you know. Uh, so so it may not be safe for work, but but look him up. N- not safe for work and not safe if you don't want to see like weird stuff, you know. I mean, he was, he was pushing the envelope as far okay. as creativity goes and, you know, doing a lot of stuff that may offend some people, uh, but, 
personally, I've I I've always been very attracted to his work. I I think he's um, just a absolute master of making things interesting. Like I look at his images and I just can't stop looking at them. And you know, to me, that's like such a gem. You know, like I'm you. Especially these days when we we're surrounded by images, you know, everywhere we look, it's like I, I probably look at a thousand photographs a day, like not even intentionally, you know what I mean? Just like right. spend two they seconds pop up on in inst- front of you. I mean, if you are on uh, any type of computer or mobile device for a day, you're going to see a lot of images. Uh, you know, they're just in our life. We're we're in a very visual culture, and you know, to be able to create images that make you pause and be like whoa, I got to keep looking at this. Like, what's going on here? You know, that's very special. Uh, And I I don't see it much. And uh, with his work, I see it all the time. So it's like, dude, awesome. Yeah, pulls me in. So, uh, you know, but keep in mind, there's some nudity in his work. And, uh, you know, sometimes he does some things that... uh, Give give the name one more time. It's David LaChapelle. Okay, David Uh, LaChapelle. And... Yeah. I, I want to remind everybody that Aaron has been kind enough to give us that discount code. If you go to Flurn and you subscribe to Flurn, you can get 20% off a Flurn subscription with behind the shot 20, all one word. Don't put spaces, you know, it's like a hashtag. Don't put spaces between, you know, around the, the just behind the shot 20, no spaces. That'll get you 20% discount on, uh, on a Flurn subscription. And I also want to mention because this article just popped up this week and it mentions I'm not in it, which is understandable, actually, but it mentions some amazing photography podcasts. So if you are interested in looking up more photography podcasts, I want to give the writer of this article. Flurn has a magazine on the website. It's it's awesome. Uh, and the guy who wrote it is Michael. Is it Freeman? I believe so. OK, so Michael Freeman wrote the best podcasts for photographers and I will have a link in the show notes, but you got uh, a Baronex Perello is in there, Candid Frame. You've got Master Photography Podcast in there. My Old Home Twip with Frederick Van Johnson is in there. And there's a bunch of other ones. Uh, I, he Shoots, He Draws, I think, is in there as well, which I think you were just on. Yep, yep. Um, there, there are some really good resources in there. Be sure to go check that out again. Link, uh, images from Aaron, the behind the shot stuff I'll put up there, behind the scenes stuff. Uh, are all going to be at BehindTheShot.tv. Now, if you want to connect with Aaron, you can just go to Flurn anywhere. So your social media is Flurn everywhere, right? Definitely. Yeah, P-H Learn. So that's P-H-L-E-A-R-N. Okay. And then uh, the website is Flurn.com. I do want to give out, if people want to look at his portfolio, if you watch the video, I put lower thirds up that put all these up. But if you're on the audio... The links are on the website, BehindTheShot.tv, but it's Aaron-Nace, so hyphen, right, Aaron-Nace.com. You can go check out his portfolio, follow him online, uh, give him some love. And again, thank you very much for that code, BehindTheShot20, for the 20% discount. Appreciate it. And uh, Aaron, thank you so much for being on, man. Yeah, this has been an absolute blast. I did have, like, if we have, like, two more seconds, I wanted to talk about one more thing about this image. You can I talk think... about whatever you uh, want. Uh, cool. So 
um, in planning for this image, uh, it's like, okay, we're going to have a, a, a young boy in this image, you know, with a, with a flashlight looking off. Uh, and then Baxter's kind of be like not as lit and he's going to be big, right? He's going to be 15 feet tall. And um, I made Baxter, you know, with with my hands. It's a, you know, he's a physical thing. He's got, you know, I, I ordered fake fur off of the internet, and um, he's got uh, his teeth are actual buffalo teeth from a real buffalo. He's got like a teddy bear nose. He has um, his eyes are taxidermy elk eyes. You know, when they taxidermy animals, so they're like got a lot of depth and reality to him. He has his horns are goat horns. His eyebrows are foxtails. They're made out of foxtails. He's got some floppy ears. Um, so when I was making Baxter, I, I drew Baxter a lot of times before finally making him uh, because I had a really, I had a really important goal with Baxter, right? Because he's he was going to be behind the boy in a dark alley, and he's going to be fifteen feet tall. And he's kind of a monster. So I didn't want him to be scary. Right, right. That was my main goal with Baxter is like, okay, we have a 15 foot tall monster behind a boy at night. Peeking out from a garage like he's going to, you know, but I, he couldn't be scary. That was, that was goal number one with Baxter. So that's actually like where a lot of the character design comes in. So if you look at his teeth, actually one of his teeth is chipped. He has like a chipped tooth right. on, on, the, on the bottom and he's got very rounded teeth. He's just got like big, chunky, rounded teeth. And one of them's got a, a chip on it, you know, kind of like hinting to the fact that maybe he's got really, really short legs and he's got a little bit of a belly. He's got a little bit of a pooch. So his short legs... You know, maybe he was running really fast with his short legs and he tripped and fell and maybe cracked one of his tooth. So he's he's kind of like a clumsy, like little I mean, he's he's a lovable. I love Baxter, you know, he's he's like Well, and, kind- and here's there's there's a weird thing. The first time I saw him, I knew he wasn't intended to be scary, but okay, they're not real, I understand that. But but mm-hmm. his eyes. Yeah. He has a look in his eyes of a child's bewilderment. <laughs> Right. Like he's they're wide open and he's alert. Yeah. There's no there's no intimidation in there. Uh, yeah. He's brilliantly built. Thanks. I want to touch that. I want to touch him. I want to feel what he feels like. Oh, he's great. He's great. He's here in our Chicago studio. And, um, you know, he's he's a champion, you know. So, um, yeah, just one of those other things that was part of the fun of this was like, how do we how do how do I make something like, how do I build Baxter in a way to where he's obviously, like, not scary, to where he's obviously kind of, like, cute and, and, and lovable? And, you know, things like the short legs and the, and the big fluffy eyebrows and the, the chip tooth and, you know, a little bit of, he's, you know, got a little bit of a, a tummy on him. You know, these things were, were super, um, yeah, they were, they were a really important part of, of, of building him. So... Um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that because it's just another fun thing. I mean, building Baxter technically has nothing to do with photography, but because this was a personal project and just something, it was a passion project and something that I wanted to do, um, all of a sudden I found myself, 
you know, making, making this guy as well. And, uh, you know, I think if you follow your passions and, and, and pursue personal projects and, and have fun and, you know, come up with us stories and ideas, then, um, you might find yourself, you know, pulling together, uh, all, all kinds of, you know, interesting ideas and concepts to, to pull a story together. So this is, you know, it, it, it is an image at the end of the day, but it's, it's far more than just, a uh, a snapshot it's it's many different photos uh combined together um with with the idea to tell a story and and that to me is the most fun it's like you know when that story comes to life and uh, and you look at this image and uh you know all of the compositing all the technical stuff just fades away you know the technical stuff is just how you get to the end product but that you know, I want all that to just fade away and not even be evident. And at the end of the day, um, you just look at this and it's like, oh, what's this story? Like, what's going on here? Like, what is what is this? Like, you know, that to me is like, you know, that that's the best feeling. to. Well, to- and, and you succeeded. I mean, seriously, when I was told that you made Baxter, I thought, okay, he must have drawn him because he looks real in this picture. I mean, I hate to say it, but he looks like there's a 15 foot beast standing behind <laughs> this little boy. I mean, it, it looks so real. But again, the technical stuff does disappear. I had no idea that it was a mirror image of an alley um, that it was flipped over. The, the 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 coloring, the lighting, really just you do brilliant work, my friend. Just absolutely brilliant work. And what I what I also like is people that are not going to go build a Baxter. That's okay, uh, yeah. because there's still you you understand or you can from a from a creation like this, you can understand the creative process <clears throat> that even if you're just shooting a model on a beach at the right time of day, you, you've got to think about the time of day. You've got to think about where you put your light. You got to think I can put a light there and remove it later. Right. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's so much that you can do <clears throat> to to bring the creativity style that an Aaron Nace uses to pure photography and anywhere in between, right? I mean, that, that to me is the beautiful part of the time that we live in. These tools exist for anybody, no matter what your art. So I, I, I can't say thank you enough for sharing. It's been great. Thanks so much. I, I really enjoyed, you know, getting to like do a deep dive in, in into an image that's, uh, you know, it's got a real special place in my heart. So thank you. I want to I want to meet Baxter someday. I'm next time we were just in Chicago not long ago either. And next time I'm there, I'm going to email you and I'm going to beg you to let me come see your studio and meet Baxter because. Uh, OK, stupid question again. The fur that you used, is it teddy bear soft or is it it looks a little more coarse than that yeah it's kind of coarse yeah it's like uh you know he's a yeah he's <laughs> yeah it's like it, it's like animal fur i mean it's it's fake fur by the way his eyebrows are real foxtails and his horns are real goat horns uh um but the fake the fur on that makes him up is is uh it's just amazing I, i'll never forget when i saw the email oh i i made that and my jaw hit the floor because I never pictured that coming out. I thought it was all, it's just so good. So uh, Aaron Nace, Flern, P-H, Learn. So Flern, 
Fleurin.com, at Fleurin on all social media, Aaron-Nace.com for Aaron's portfolio. Aaron Nace, founder of Fleurin, an amazing creative artist. Thank you again for being on Behind the Shot. Thanks so much. Had a blast. So for everybody that's watching this, again, you can see the behind the scenes stuff and a bunch, a, a number of other shots of Aaron's work at BehindTheShot.tv. You can subscribe there as well. We're also on YouTube. We've got the new Flickr group that we're building membership on that we're going to use down the road for, for other areas of the show. We might do some critique shows and a bunch of other different things. Uh, so make sure you hit those up and you can subscribe both in video and audio in whatever podcast app you have, as long as you choose one for video. Otherwise, just subscribe to the audio one and you can always go look at the picture at the at the website behind the shot.tv. Also, I would like to ask if you are an iTunes person, if you're in the Apple ecosystem, go drop a review. It does help with discoverability and I would really, really appreciate it. So there you go. I'm Steve Brazel. This is Behind the Shot, the show where we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer or creative artist by taking a closer look at one of their shots from conception to completion, all the stories, all the challenges that happen in between. Thanks for joining me and we'll see you on the next show. Thank you.